In this special series, AHLA leaders discuss key moments in their careers, current and future trends in health law, and AHLA's role in their professional development. Support for AHLA and this series is provided by HORN, which provides proactive guidance and strategies to enhance efficiency, improve patient experience, increase market share, and position you for greater success. Horn Healthcare serves over 600 clients across 31 states. For more information, visit hornllp.com. Well, welcome everyone today. My name is Chip Hutzler, and my guest today with me is Ari Markinson from the Venable Law Firm. Ari is also a board member of AHLA, and we're really glad to have him here. Welcome, Ari. Chip, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Great. Um, and Ari, we generally start out by asking folks to tell us how you got into health law. How did you get into health law? So um, I grew up across the street from a large academic medical center because both my parents are uh, physicians. Uh, one still practicing, one is not. And uh, one of them is both a physician and an attorney. Um, and I literally grew up walking the halls of uh, uh, several different hospital buildings and, and some, some medical school uh, uh, classrooms and things. And, and just was from the moment I was born, essentially uh, exposed to um, healthcare and, and eventually uh, um, wanted to do something in healthcare, but wasn't very interested in being a clinician. And, and uh, um, like the law, I took some, some courses in law in high school and so forth and recognized that even before I went to college and law school, that it would be interesting if I could be a lawyer in healthcare in some way. And frankly, at that point in time, didn't really understand what that meant exactly. You know, I couldn't tell you that I knew that there were health lawyers, um, uh, uh, but, but I sort of assumed that there had to be lawyers that did things in healthcare in some way or another. That's great. Was there anyone that inspired you along the way, other than your parents, you know, who obviously as doctors were um, inspired? Yeah, it was very interesting. My my uh, mother, who's the doctor and the lawyer, uh, um, had been very involved in an organization of MDJDs and 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 um, and many of the folks who were involved in that organization had all the very varied careers in terms of, of what they were doing. I mean, some were coroners, some were, you know, heads of departments of public health, and, and uh, uh, some were literally malpractice lawyers on both the plaintiff and defense side. And, and, um, and I was exposed to a lot of those folks um, and, and just got a real sense of, and early on, even before I had gone to law school, right, just got a sense of folks that were doing things as lawyers in healthcare in so many different ways. Yeah, that's, uh, that's great. Um, was there sort of a key moment or maybe pivotal moment in your health law career when you sort of realized I'm in the right place, this, I picked the right thing and I'm glad I'm here. You sort of that, you know, I've looked back at my career, there were sort of some pivotal moments. Is there sort of any pivotal moments in your career you could look at and say, Hey, that's, um, that was really a key moment in my career. Yeah, you know, I, I had uh, um, uh, gotten involved with um, the health law community uh, in law school, essentially, um, and uh, um, w w without uh, uh, singling him out, there was a, a, a lawyer who worked at the um, Health and Hospitals Corporation at the time in, in New York, and I was the... Um, 
uh, I was a student at Brooklyn Law, and, and you could, through a clinic at Brooklyn Law, basically get to, to, to find a, a um, you know, credit-bearing internship in a bunch of different places. And, and um, I had been able to get, get a, an opportunity to work in the legal department um, in Health and Hospitals Corporation, which was frankly, and it still is, a pretty large legal department in, in, a, in a, you know, a, a, an, an urban, you know, public, I mean, yes, quasi-public, but really public hospital system. And um, it was, you know, just a eye-opening in terms of, it was my first exposure to folks that were really practicing health law, right, in different ways, um, but, you know, had had uh, 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 end-of-life issues in front of them, had contractual issues in front of them, had litigation issues in front of them, employment issues in front of them, all relating to essentially the business of this hospital system, right? Um, and and it all of a sudden said to me, "Wow, you know this I, this is I, this is neat. You know, I want to do this. Um, you know, it was sort of just a a a, a, a proving the con the concept to me, right? The idea that I had in my head all along that I would do something as a lawyer in healthcare. Um, you know, when I saw what these folks were doing in Health and Hospitals Corporation, I said, "This is yeah, this is what I want to do." That's great. Um, so along the way, have you had any challenges? I mean, you don't get to be a leader, I guess, without having some challenges. Can you give us a sense of some of the challenges you've had to overcome in your career and what you did? You know, it's interesting. The health law community, and particularly within HLA, is an amazingly collegial community. There's a lot of wonderful people. Um, uh, I can give you a funny story about my beginnings of getting involved in HLA in a little while, but but the... the um, it really is an amazing community and the, the health law section with the New York State Bar as well that I was very involved in and still very involved in the same thing, very, very neat community of folks um, and very collegial, but it, it, for a very long time in my career, it always seemed bizarre that there was a lot of young people interested in health law and, and there always seemed to be a lot of seasoned healthcare lawyers but nobody in between, no up and coming <laughs> lawyers, no, no, you know, no, sort of, you know, you know, no sort of, this is the wrong word, but I'll use it. No sort of mid-level experienced healthcare lawyers. And I always scratched what's left of the hair in my head and said, kind of, you know, what, where, where, what are we doing wrong um, in, in, in health law and in, in, in the, in the, um, in our community where we don't have, you know, we're just, we don't, there's something missing as to why we don't have these folks. And, and, and I guess getting back to really why I'm saying this in, re in response to your question is, is that I've always found it a challenge wherever I've been in my career to find folks that I could recruit in that space because they, they, it's almost like they didn't exist, you know? Um, and and it's, we, it still is a challenge and, and, and that, that I, it just seems very strange that there's very, very few healthcare lawyers that that seem to to just be in that that space between you know a young healthcare lawyer and a a a, a partner um, with you know twenty years of experience. Yeah, um, I mean, I think I was only in that space for about three months, and then my hair turned gray, and nobody believed I was in the middle anymore. But um, uh, <laughs> I'm with you. I, that's a great insight, and I think it's absolutely true. I, and I wonder why that is. It's probably got something to do with how healthcare just, um, you know, sucks you into a certain uh, level of, of depth very quickly. And suddenly you are, you get very experienced at things very fast because there's such a high volume of things going on, but who knows? Cause that's a great insight. Um, 
And and I think well, one of the reasons why I think that's happening though is that I, I honestly think we're we're losing, um, and it's and it's a it's it's as a result of what's happening. I think in the in the the legal world as a whole, but uh, but I think that we're losing the Swiss Army knife healthcare lawyer. And what I mean by that is is that I define my practice by the types of clients I represent, not by necessarily the substantive types of law that I do. Now, yeah, I'm an MA and a regulatory lawyer at heart. I, I'm not a litigator necessarily, um, but my practice is more defined by a, a client in the healthcare industry, particularly in healthcare services mostly, coming to me and saying, hey, can you help me with X? Rather than me saying, you know, I'm an MA lawyer that can buy and sell healthcare companies, right? Um, yeah. And I think that younger lawyers are being trained more now to be an M&A lawyer, um, uh, even in healthcare, right? That they're, they're being trained to be a litigator, an M&A lawyer, a regulatory lawyer, um, and they're not being trained or they're not being even sort of, um, uh, um, I'm losing my word, uh, um, you know, they're not being encouraged to, to be a, you know, an industry-focused lawyer rather than a substantive type of law lawyer. Um, and, and I think that we're losing something there by, by that. I think that there's, you know, that, that, um, and, and frankly, one of the reasons why I think you have lawyers, younger lawyers that, that tend to, to, to not move up in the ranks is because, you know, in my own career, I've recognized that there are days where I've got an enormous amount of regulatory work on my desk and that's what's keeping me busy. And there are days where I've got transactions that are on my desk and no regulatory work that's keeping me busy. Um, and the ability to kind of, you know, represent the client type rather than the, the you know, be, be stuck in a type of law um, has allowed me to, to, to be busy and have things to do and enjoy what I do. So, yeah, I think it's the volume of transactions that, that, that and, or, or, in, or cases in the case of uh, things that aren't transactional, that maybe is the driver of that in some sense. I know I did a physician contracting work and there was someone else in the firm that did all the managed care contracts because I never would have had the time for any of that, given all the physician contracts out of my plate. I, it was a miracle I was getting the ones that I had done each, that I got new each month done within 30 days or 60 days of getting them um, so that I could get the next pile from the board 30 days later when they would meet again. So I think there's volume has something to do with it, but I think when you get past volume, you're right, there may be a feeling that people get that once they get in that sort of specialization, they rely on others when other problems come along. They have somebody next door who they can talk to about the other problems. An in-house counsel's got a checklist of things they got to look at, but they, they only handle one or two of those things themselves and they've got farm out the rest, maybe. But I, I think know. in circumstances, there's something lost, right? In the sense yeah. that you, you don't get a well-rounded understanding of your client's needs, interests, you know, needs and interests and, and uh, um, their goals in, in the sense that if, if you know, if, if the only thing you are to your client is the, the you know, the, the managed care contracting lawyer, right, um, then, you know, it's, it's harder for you to have a conversation with them about when they want to, you know, talk to you about leasing some new medical office building, right, or, or, or you know, it, you know, and, and, and um, it, you just don't get a well-rounded understanding of who your client is and what they want and need and those kinds of things. If, if you're, you know, so specialized, I, at least I think. You know. Right, right. I had the pleasure to talk, tell one of my stories for a second. I had the pleasure to talk with a, a noted health lawyer a number of years ago. And 
we were talking about the Stark law, which is pretty much all I do as evaluator. I do a lot of Stark and kickback related stuff. And I said, is there anything that drives you more nuts than the Stark law? It's so complicated and so on. He said, well, the HIPAA law, <laughs> you know, it's pretty complicated too. And I don't deal with that very often, once in a while. But uh, I said, yeah, I guess that one falls into the category of also confounding people from time to time. But I never thought about it much until we had that conversation. Um, so, you know, as a leader, you've learned a lot, obviously, and you, uh, you, you're going to still be a leader for a while going forward. But when you talk to people who are sort of have aspiration in their mind of becoming a future leader, what do you recommend to them? What do you suggest they do as they think about maybe trying to be a leader too and emulating what you've accomplished? In, in my long-winded answer to this, I'll, I'll start out with the story I alluded to earlier that I didn't really give you, which is when I, when I was a very young lawyer, just done with law school and done with my master's in public health program, um, I got, I'd already been involved as a student in, 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 in AHLA, um, but now I was a young associate in a small healthcare boutique firm. And we communicated in, in the community, you know, the HLA community, community via listservs, right? Email listservs. Um, and some of them were very active and some weren't, right? And it just so happened that I was very involved in a lot of long-term care and post-acute care clients. And the practice group there was very active. And the listserv was very active. And um, I was this young lawyer that said, you know, why not see how helpful people are going to be, you know, and, 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 and chose to, to ask questions and respond to questions and, and, and see, and, and, and all of a sudden recognize that this community of folks on the listserv, um, competitors or not, it didn't matter. They were incredibly helpful. Um, uh, uh, and, and I was equally as helpful on, on issues that folks raised about what they were doing in their practice. Um, and, that in that that getting involved, right, um, led to me just continuing to build on how I got involved in the association, what I did within the association, what I got from the association um, that brought me to, to to where I am now in terms of of, of being a board member. Um, the the I will to this day say that unequivocally the association has given me a heck of a lot more than I've ever given to it, even though I've spent a lot of time speaking and, and planning programs and being involved in different committees and so forth and so on. Um, what I've gotten out of the association in terms of meeting uh, um, uh, colleagues and clients and, and learning uh, about new issues and just getting resources has been unbelievable. You know, I, I've, um, uh, um, uh, the, 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 the other piece of that story that's always amusing is that um, when I finally moved on from the small boutique firm I was at to a much larger national health law firm, um, one of the partners, and I will absolutely never forget this, um, one of the partners in interviewing me said, oh, you're that guy that's on the listserv like 24-7. You know? like, you know, and and I, I didn't know if that was a, a, a positive or a negative comment in the interview process. You know, it was like, you know, it was it was this like, you know, you're that guy that doesn't shut up kind of comment, you know, and 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 uh, um, 
and uh, it was very, very interesting, you know. And 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 I, but I thought to myself, you know, whether whether this particular guy had thought that it, negative, it was a negative comment or a positive comment didn't really matter because, frankly, you know, what what I was getting out of being involved in that community at that time, in fact, brought me to that interview. Right? I, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to interview with that firm if I wasn't able to to build myself into the healthcare lawyer, even at that time that I wanted to be by being involved in HLA. Um, and that involvement, right, speaking and writing and, and getting involved in committees um, is really what led me to the board eventually. Um, and I think that that is uh, um, something that, that many of our younger members don't really, they don't, it's not that they don't want to do it. I almost think they don't understand that they can do it. Um, that, that, that there's so much opportunity to be involved in the association. Um, and, um, you know, and frankly, the, the third year, you know, health law associate that's at some event that they're at too, some educational event, one of the programs, it's like programs or something, you know, is not there necessarily their competitor, their colleague, right? You know, and, 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 um, you know, uh, as long as you're not, you know, divulging client confidences, right? You should feel comfortable to go grab a lunch and grab a dinner and talk about life as a healthcare lawyer, right? Um, uh, uh, I still have a relationship with a lawyer that I met at the Medicare and Medicaid Institute program, who was at, um, uh, uh, at the time, what was the Healthcare Financing Administration, it wasn't even CMS yet. Um, and, uh, um, you know, they were like a first year young lawyer starting out at, at the agency. Um, and it was really neat to meet them because frankly, over the years, I've been able to send them emails and say, who do I talk to about this? Or who do I talk to about that? Or, you know, not necessarily having them answer something for me, but having them at least help me navigate the agency, right? Um, and the same thing happened for me, you know, mid my career, I met someone who was a, um, a uh, um, one of the regional, um, and even in a region that I didn't necessarily do a lot of work in, but one of the um, uh, regional lawyers for HHS and, and one of their regional offices. And, and he would do, uh, really was amazing about saying, hey, you know, if that's your issue, try to get to this person, right? Um, and frankly, without AHLA, that never would have happened for me, right? Um, and I think that, uh, um, you know, you get that out of AHLA, but you also, if you're, if you're that involved in AHLA, right, opportunities to, to build on your involvement come your way. Indeed, I think that's great insight. Lots of stuff you said there that was just spot on point. I used to be a participant in listservs too, and um, well, just suffice to say, no press is bad press on a listserv. I think it always serves you well, unless you, uh, unless you really stick your foot in your mouth, but you probably never did. You probably were just very um, responsive, and, and it got noticed, and, um, and it made a difference. And, and then uh, with some of the later things you mentioned, I think we're, we're right on point with how uh, I've seen lots of um, people kind of participate and get involved and turn into great things. Um, you don't have to start out participating in something big. You can start out with something small, I found. So that's great insight as well. Where do you see uh, health law and AHLA kind of going in the future? What is your sort of outlook for things? You're gonna be on the board for a little while. What do you still wanna accomplish? 
Well, it goes back to, to a big point I made before that, that if there is one thing I'd, I'd like to see us accomplish in the, in, from the leadership of the association, um, it's figuring out how to develop those young, very eager lawyers involved in the association or not involved at the moment, how to get them in, right? Um, as well as, by the way, other types of, of professionals that are interested in health law, right, health policy and those kinds of things, um, to develop them into uh, uh, um, uh, the next generation where we don't have that kind of what I keep describing is that sort of weird, you know, generational uh, a hole um, that, that we really, uh, if you... It, I don't know of one of my colleagues that are either more experienced than I am or sort of around my age that, that wouldn't tell you that they cannot find a mid-level associate um, that, that has the, the, the right experience that they're looking for to work with them. You know, they just can't recruit those folks. Um, and and the, the conversation is not necessarily that you know, there aren't good people out there. It's that they don't even exist, right? You know, it's not, it's not that folks are saying, you know, everybody I meet is not so exciting. It's, it's that we, we can't, we don't, we're not even getting resumes, right? Um, and so I, I'd love to see us um, really fix how we're uh, um, developing or helping to develop uh, younger professionals into um, a lifelong career in health law. And I think, you know, I think that there's, there's something, there's something's happening that's not going right in the sense that there's, there, there, you know, for that generational hole to be there, um, it means that folks are, are, you know, either leaving the practice of health or they're pivoting in some way that they're not developing into that next level. And, and I'd, I'd like us to figure out why and to figure out how to fix it. I think that's a, a great thing, and, and I hope that's what HLA is really there to help do. I think that's what it's about. So great insight. Let's take this in a little lighthearted direction. You live in New York City. That's one of my favorite places to visit in the whole United States. What are your favorite places? HLA takes you a lot of places uh, from time to time. What are your favorite places to visit when you leave New York? Um, well, I'll tell you, they've changed over time. I used to make a, 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 um, a ton of excuses to go to any HLA program that was in um, New Orleans. Uh, yeah. uh, the food in New Orleans is insane, but but my my years ago, the the um, uh, uh, fix of of grabbing a, a beignet made a big deal to me. But of course, then. And it's and it's actually has still has a connection to HLA. Um, at a annual meeting, I, I had been uh, uh, sick for a while and not understanding why I was sick. And at an annual meeting, I got extremely sick and ended up in the the um, uh, hospital uh, in in San Diego uh, right out of an annual uh, during an annual meeting. Mm -hmm. And um, eventually was diagnosed with celiac disease. Um, oh. And uh, that stopped my beignet you know, yeah, uptake, so, uptake, so, uh, but, but, uh, so the, the, my, even though I still, uh, uh, I, I enjoy a, you know, a, a good bowl of, of gator gumbo or whatever it might be down in Louisiana, it's, uh, uh my ability to go over to Cafe du Monde to stop dramatically, but, yeah, um, yeah. <clears throat> but there's other, I mean, look, there's other, uh, uh, things that, um, you know, AHLA's, uh, um, 
the the way that we kind of run across the country with programs, you know, and we're on the West Coast, now we're sort of mid, you know, middle of the country and then East Coast. It's just a really neat way to change up where we are and what we're doing. And I've always enjoyed um, being able to do that because even though some of our programs are sort of, you know, for good reason, uh, uh, stuck in certain places, uh, not all of them, you know, most of them aren't. Um, and the, the I, I just really, it, it's really great that we kind of move them around so that folks get a different, different um, feel for where we're going to be and, 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 you know, just changes up the, um, the experience. Uh, to totally agree. And uh, I think it's one of the fun parts of being part of the association. So um, what, here's another lighthearted one. What is the story for your walk-in music? Do you have any walk-in music like a baseball player and, uh, and, and where does it come from? <laughs> um, I am uh, um, at heart a a a, um, a pretty uh, um, in my head uh, a mellow character, and it's funny. My walk-in music would would probably be something that that involved very little noise and a lot of just simple guitar. Um, and there's so many different things I could point to that, but, but, uh, um, it's, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of artists sort of singer songwriter type stuff. That's just strings, right. That, that, uh, um, would be something in that genre that, that it wouldn't be noisy. It wouldn't be loud. It wouldn't be jumping all over the place. Yeah. Um, it's, you sound like me. My, I'm probably more Jimmy Buffett than, in, than glitter rock and roll. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe. Um, but that's that's great. Uh, so when they induct you into the Health Law Hall of Fame, which it's going to happen for every board member, um, at least I say, well, uh, what's your plaque on the wall going to say? Um, you know, I hope it says that that he really tried throughout his career um, to make sure that there was a next generation. Um, because that's always been very important to me. I've I, done a lot of mentoring in HLA as well as outside of HLA of folks interested in health law um, and um, have have done all I could do, I think, to hire young lawyers interested in health law. Um, and I've really had a nice time watching some of those lawyers, you know, develop. Uh, you know, one of them is a partner in a healthcare practice now that is really just, you know, really doing a great thing. One of them is an in-house lawyer, a law for a, a, a large health system in New York, and others an in-house lawyer at a health system in Boston. And, and um, you know, it's just nice to see some of the young folks that I've met over time, even folks who were in law school who wanted to be healthcare lawyers really achieved that, uh, you know, opportunity, that, that interest that they've had. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, Great to hear. Well, really, thank you for being my guest today. It was great to have a chance to chat with you. Um, enjoyed it quite a bit and uh, look forward to seeing you at HLA Things Around. Thanks so much for coming in. Chip, thanks. This has been great. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to AHLA Speaking of Health Law wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about AHLA and the educational resources available to the health law community, visit AmericanHealthLaw.org.